Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. This is episode 46. It's uh, uh, 3 September. And... Uh, I know I just did a show yesterday or the day before. I can't remember which. Um, episode 45. Man, I, I should write that down before I start the podcast. Anyway, I'm doing another one, and that's because there was a story that came out about the IVAS. And we've been keeping up with the IVAS pretty good. And I always want to try to do the latest on IV, especially IVAS. So that's why I'm doing a podcast now. Uh, real quick plug for Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at defense underscore podcast. If you can find the time, check us out on Twitter. As promised, I tweeted something about the um, sail drone uh, unmanned surface vehicle, which the Iranian we talked about the other day. The Iranians were trying to, I don't know, rip one off, steal it, tag it, whatever they were trying to do. Uh, and I was wondering, what is the Navy using those for? So I tweeted something out about that. Uh, turns out it's surveillance. Anyway, uh, so we're on Twitter, and so let's get right to the point. Uh, first of all, IVAS is uh, the Integrated Visual Augmentation System. It's one of the 31 plus 4 priorities for the Army. It's uh, operate, uh, run out of the cross-functional team, Soldier Lethality, out of Fort Benning, Georgia, one of the signature Army programs. And uh, it's gotten a lot of scrutiny um, lately, and... Uh, Congress is concerned. Anyway, bottom line is the program seems to be in a little trouble, maybe. And there was uh, an operational test that was done uh, this summer, and that was going to kind of help chart the future of the program. So anyway, we'll get right to the article. And the article is a recent article. It's from 1 September, um, a couple days ago. And the only I've seen a few articles on the same subject, uh, but none from a defense a journalist. They've all been from like Bloomberg or whatever, Yahoo News. But anyway, this is from Bloomberg by Anthony Cappuccio, 1 September, 2, uh, 2.25 p.m. And here the title is, Microsoft Combat Goggles Wins First U.S. Army Approval for Delivery. The initial 5,000 order last year was on hold pending tests, which is the iot uh, which happened this summer. The Army projects spending up to $21.9 billion over a decade. Now, don't pay too much attention to that. Let's get to the article. So the Army is taking delivery of the first batch of high-tech combat goggles made by Microsoft, citing encouraging results from testing in the field, which occurred this summer. Uh, here we go. Uh, Assistant Secretary of Acquisition, Douglas Bush, Doug Bush, our friend, has cleared the Army to begin accepting some of the 5,000 sets of goggles, spokesman Jamal Beck said in a statement. Their delivery has been placed on hold over concern about the device's performance until more rigorous testing took place. Based on test results, so far the service is adjusting its fielding plan to allow time to correct deficiencies and also field to units that are focused on training activities, Beck said. 
Microsoft's IVAS integrated visual augmentation system is expected to, to provide a heads-up display for U.S. ground forces similar to those for fighter pilots. The system, a customized version of micro, Microsoft's HoloLens Holo goggles, would let commanders project information on a visor in front of a soldier's face and would include features such as night vision. So that's kind of a quick description the author gives on IVAS. We know it's night vision and, I think, thermal. It will interface with uh, fire control for a weapon. It also has uh, training uh, applications once they get this one-world terrain uh, squared away. I think you can put targeting in it. It's going to be an incredible system, um, and maybe it's just too much ahead of its time right now. This is These are my views, uh, but I think it's it's going to be a good system if and when they can get the bugs uh, knocked out of it. So the Army projects spending, I want to talk about that. So here we go, Mr. Bush again. Bush's directive to accept delivery issued last month, but not previously disclosed, marks a show of faith in the Microsoft product. A final test report, which isn't expected until next month, is being drafted by the Pentagon's Director of Operational Test and Evaluation. And we just talked about him yesterday, uh, Nicholas Guertin. He's leaving that position to, to go uh, work for the Navy. Anyway... Funny how things work. Uh, we did a good test and we will learn from it, Bush said in an earlier statement, informed by emerging results. The Army remains confident that the program will succeed and Microsoft has declined to comment. Uh, the Army, uh, the article's about over with. It says the, art the Army placed its initial order for 5,000 goggles valued at say, $373 million in March 2021. But the order was to be the first of a potential 121,000 over a decade, but was placed on hold later last year when the service de delayed deployment to delayed deployment of the device to continue to enhance the technology platform. Uh, the test report will help the Congress decide whether to approve the 424.2 million the Army proposed to spend on the program for the. FY starting in October, House and Senate appropriations panels proposed deep cuts to the Army's request pending test results. So it all, it's all down to these test results. Um, and they're going to be out next month, and we're going to be looking forward to those test results. I'm sure they'll be released, and we probably do a whole program on that. Um, but the bottom line is Doug Bush says he's happy with – he's not happy – that's not exactly what he said. He said, we did a good test and we'll learn from it. And there is a saying, bad data is good data. Anytime you're learning something, that's good. The Army remains confident that the program will succeed. That's his comment. And uh, he begins accepting some of the 5,000 sets of goggles. Um, so this article was released on September 1st. And uh, you think that, now this is just me, what I think, you think that if the, the IVS was, did really good in the test and was, you know, doing very well, they would kind of roll this out uh, in a different way. What I mean is, I remember reading somewhere that any administration in Washington, whenever they have some news that's not so great, they always roll it out on a Friday, Friday afternoon, because all the reporters will be out of town or off for the weekend, and then they deal with it on Monday. Well, they're rolling out this on Thursday before a four-day weekend because, you know, Washington is a government town, and any government town with a lot of federal workers, they always 
have a federal holiday, and most of them will take leave to take the four-day. So they release this on the afternoon, 225 Eastern Standard Time in Washington on a Thursday before Labor Day four-day. And they've probably known about this for about a few weeks. So maybe I'm being conspiracy theorist, but I think... And it says they're accepting some of the 5,000. They don't say how many. I wonder why they don't say how many. Um, if they say we're going to accept 2,500, we're going to accept 1,000, we're going to accept five. You know, if it's a low number, then they don't want to spend a lot of money on these things because they still got work to do on them. So five, uh, some is not a – I mean, that's – to me, that's telling, but I don't know. Um, and what else do I want to talk about on this? That's about it, I think. A couple of things to add before we're done is it said the order was, uh, the 5,000 was initial order, which is part of 121,000 over a decade. If you remember, the the uh, IVAS is supposed to go to the close combat force. We've talked about it before. The close combat force or the CCF or the 100K force, the Army is determined out of the whole Army, National Guard, that about 100,000 soldiers are called a close combat force. And those are usually your infantry soldiers, your cavalry soldiers, your combat engineers, uh, forward observers, anybody that's kind of going to close with and destroy the enemy in close combat. And those soldiers are kind of the focus of the uh, soldier lethality cross-functional team. Those are the soldiers that will get the next generation, uh, next generation rifle, next generation automatic rifle, uh, uh, ENVGB, and, of course, the IVAS. That's who these 121 will go to, 121K will go to eventually. Um, so that's first thing. Second thing, back in July, there was a great uh, article that the Army put out, which Doug Bush was asked a lot of questions uh, with the media. And somebody brought up a question about IVAS. And this interview is from late July, around 27 July. Oh, it's Tony Cappuccio. How about that? He's the one who just releases Bloomberg, and he's the one that asked the question. So here we go. Man, that's cool. Uh, Tony's all over it. So Tony says, yes, Mr. Bush, one quick I've asked question. Roughly when will the final test report go to the Hill? The test office told me a couple months ago it'll be in like September. And then what will be the way forward once the test report is done, assuming it's largely positive? And Doug Bush says, well, I think your intel on the timing is roughly correct. That's my understanding. Late summer, early fall for the former reports. Of course, we don't have to wait for the former report to decide what to do. So I think those discussions are actively going on now based on emerging results and feedback we've already received. So we're hoping to have our way forward, figuring out in advance the f of the formal release of those things, but informed by the reports and the information they provided. Tony says, can you give any sense of the emerging results? Have any showstoppers issues emerged with the use of IVAS or has it met expectations roughly? Doug Bush says, so I can broadly characterize the test as good, as a good one in terms of we continue to know, to find what you need to put in the hands of soldiers and you do an operational test, you continue to find challenges. Again, no data, uh, good data, bad data, it's all good data. That's my interpretation of what he said there. Okay, I'll put into two broad categories. This is him talking again, not me. You know, there are still some technology issues with regard to exact technology in the platform that need further improvement. Excuse me. I think we have a good system that needs further improvement. There's also, because this wearable technology, there are human factors, engineering aspects of how 
It is on a soldier that we learned again. That again, we learned what good and bad in terms of what they liked and what they didn't like and what was rather than that just using the term liked or didn't like was most helpful to them in accomplishing their missions. Again, we're talking about soldier acceptance here. That's what he's saying. It's kind of hard to characterize soldier acceptance is what I think he's saying. Okay, now back to him. So I think there's further work to do to improve the system, but we saw a lot of positive things out in the test. So I think we're in a position where I'm encouraged. But with that final decision on exactly how we're moving forward, we made by the Secretary, of course, Secretary of the Army, Christine Warmoth. And I'm working on a recommendation with a lot of teammates in the Army to get our recommendation on how to do that. And Tony says, thank you. So that's Mr. Bush's comments on the IVAS way back in... Way back in 28 July 22, not very long ago. And then now, of course, Tony, uh, through the uh, Bloomberg, uh, releases this story on the 1st. Excellent story. So there you go. What, what, to, what do we make of it? Uh, the Army's moving out with the IVAS. The IVAS is not dead. It's still moving. And the report will be out soon. And... Uh, and we'll all we'll all be very happy to read the report and, and discuss on it. So, bottom line, there is IVAS news, and the IVAS is not dead. Out of the five grand that they're going to make, the Army's going to start accepting some, and uh, probably start improving them based on the test results, which they know, but we don't. Okay, enough on IVAS. I just wanted to I just wanted to talk about that because that's something I'm really watching, and it's kind of breaking news. Nobody, I haven't seen any other defense outlet really reporting it. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that we were tracking it. All right. Next. Not going to spend a lot of time on this next story. I figure if I had you for 14 minutes, I might as well give you for a few more minutes. And this is an F-35 story. Um, we haven't done an F-35 story in a while. This is an F-35B story, which tells us it's a Marine story. Real quick, it's by Mike Yeo, Y-E-O, uh, Defense News. The title is F-35B Jets Out of Japan make debut at Australia's Pitch Black Exercise. It's from September 2nd, uh, which was yesterday. All right, so here we go. F-35B is making its debut at a multinational Pitch Black Exercise in Australia. Uh, there are 12 of them. Uh, short takeoff and vertical landing aircraft were practicing the course concept nose expeditionary base, ex- expeditionary advanced basing operations, also known as EBO at RAF Base, Royal Australian Air Force Base, Curtin, according to Lieutenant Colonel Richard Behrman, Operations Officer at Marine Aircraft Group 12, based in Japan. Uh, F-35Bs have been deployed to the uh, Royal Australian Air Force Base Tyndall, 600 miles from Curtin, since mid-August for robust unit training level ahead of pitch black, military exercise involving 2,500 personnel from 10 nations. Uh, let's see, this this EBO thing uh, envisions envisions Marines that are being able to deploy mobile and easily sustainable expeditionary forces to austere temporary locations in or near contested areas to conduct missions such as sea denial or sea control. So basically, they got this thing called hub and spoke. They deploy to, uh, uh, what's the name of it, Tyndall, T-I-N-D-A-L, Tyndall, in Australia, and then 600 miles away, there's another base called Curtin. So the hub is Tyndall. That's where they do a lot, you know, that's where their base is. And then the spoke, I guess, is Curtin, kind of a hub and 
hub and spoke uh, uh, concept. You know, everybody does it. Not everybody, but it's it's kind of a common concept, hub and spoke. Okay, more about pitch black. This is the exercise that runs from 19 August to 8 September. American F-35Bs and Australian F-35As fly air-to-air and air-to-ground missions during the day and night as part of a large force employment operations with a variety of aircraft from partner nations, including F-15s, F-16s, and SU-30 fighters. Uh, F-35Bs took part in mid-air refueling with a multi-road tanker transport from Australia, Singapore, and the U.K., and the Corps' U.S. you know U.S. Marine Corps' KC-130J tankers refueled British Eurofighter Typhoons. Uh, this year's pitch black also served as an opportunity for partner nations to observe the F-35B up close and in action with the U.S. Marine Corps hosting delegations from partner nations, including one from Singapore's Next Generation Fighter Project Office. I wonder if they're interested. Uh, here it is, next line. Singapore has already selected the F-35B as its next-generation fighter, and the U.S. State Department has already cleared the sale for an initial four aircraft with an option to buy eight more. Deliveries are expected in 2026. Um, let's see. These are the countries that participated in the, in the pitch black exercises. Australia, France, Germany, Indonesia, India, Singapore, Japan, South Korea, the U.K., Philippines, Thailand, United Arab Emirates. Wow. Way out there in the Pacific. Canada, Netherlands, Malaysia, New Zealand, and the United States. So that's a good F-35B story. Uh, F-35 story in general. That sure is a popular aircraft. I know there's a lot of press on it, good and bad. We did a whole darn show on it. Uh, But uh, I know this sounds ridiculous, but comparing the F-35B to the, you know, the F-150 truck, F-150 truck is the most popular truck in the world. For some reason, people love it. And this F-35 must be pretty damn popular because everybody seems to want it. I'm talking about Singapore. One thing about the story, um, the F-35s deployed to Australia with the automatic logistics information system, which is used for predictive maintenance of the aircraft. You guys remember we did a story on that. It's called ALIS. Um, and it wasn't working very good. And I thought they were replacing it. Um, in fact, I'm going to refer to a story from over a year ago from National Defense. It says transfer to new F-35 logistics system hits headwinds. Maybe that's why. So the legacy ALIS, which we just talked about, that's deploying, that's being deployed now, it's, it's there now. Uh, has been plagued by problems over the years. This is the article I'm referring to. The system is not user-friendly and does not provide sustainment-related capabilities that we promised, that were we were promised. Um, issues with the electronic logbooks have been well-documented. So the idea was to replace it with something else called the the ODIN. And where is what, what does ODIN mean? The ODIN is Operational Data Integrated Network is being built as a more user-friendly integrated information system to include hardware uh, architectures, software development methods, blah, blah, blah. So the ODIN is supposed to replace this um, ALIS, but apparently it hasn't reached Japan yet because that's where these F-35s are. So they're still using the ALIS in terms of availability, one of the top needs is to transition from ALIS to ODIN. The current Lockheed Martin ALIS architecture limits operational and deployment capability. Well, shoot, they're deployed in, in Australia from Japan with ALIS. So 
They're making it happen either way. This is an older article. It's about a year old. So anyway, long story short, Odin is supposed to be the new thing for maintenance for the F-35s, but at least in the time being, at least the F-35 and the Marine F-35Bs out of uh, Japan are using A-list. All right. Is that too much on F-35? Probably not. You can never have too much of F-35, and you can never have too much of IVAS in my book. All right, 20 minutes. This is going to be a short show. We're almost done. Uh, here in the U.S., it's uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, a lot of people got off Monday, including me. So, you know, if you're driving, if you're in the United States and you're going to a relative's house or whatever, going on you know, that last vacation, the end, end of summer vacation to the, you know, to the beach or to the lake or whatever, the mountains, take the podcast along, listen to it in the car on the way. If you're having a barbecue with your friends or neighbors, put the podcast on. Maybe it'll keep the bugs away. Who knows? It might do something. But anyway, if you think about it, put the pad- podcast on. And uh, we're also on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Defense underscore podcast. If you can find the fun- time, check us out on Twitter. And that's pretty much it. Uh, kind of a busy weekend for me. Two, two episodes in one weekend. It's no big deal. It's great stories. Like I said, IVAS F-35, win-win both, both ways. All right, so that's pretty much it for me. This short episode is done at 21 minutes, 30 seconds. Thank you very much and good night.